Coming up on the Front Page Football Podcast, I'll be joined by FPF writers Ian Pulzinski and Cody Ajada. And today we are joined by Mindel Aces head coach Daniel McCormick. And uh, yeah, we're going to be previewing their... I was about to say FA Cup just then. Got to get out of that habit, seriously. But it, Australia Cup, of course, Australia Cup round of 32 tie. They will be hosting Avondale FC tomorrow night at home in the Northern Territory. A really fascinating story, a unique story. Uh, Mindel, of course, the only team to come out of the Northern Territory and enter into the main draw of the Australia Cup. So we've got Daniel on, and we're going to be talking all things, of course, surrounding the club, their story, uh, the game itself as well. Um, so, yeah, great to have uh, Daniel on uh, for a good, really, 45, 50-minute chat uh, coming right up. Before we go, uh, and I'll let you listen on, just uh, a quick one from us. Of course, off-season at the moment with the A-Leagues, and uh, obviously some still still plenty of time until you know the Socceroos return to action or, or anything like that, and NPL seasons are really starting to get into the to the um, to the latter stages as well. But uh, if you've got any ideas for us to talk about, anything you want us to debate, uh, give our opinion on, anything like that on the Front Page Football podcast, then go to the Contact Us section of frontpagefootball.net and watch there, check out some of our articles as well. There's been some great stuff recently and some stuff that uh, has really uh, um, done well in, sh- in terms of viewership as well, which uh, has been really fantastic to see from our point of view. But as I was saying, head on to frontpagefootball.net contact us uh, that page there and you can send through some ideas uh, if you'd like us to talk about anything in particular for the podcast but uh, anyway without further ado I'm your host Christian Marchetti and we'll be back right after this Okay, so we're taping this podcast. It is about just past 9 p.m. on a Tuesday night, Australian Eastern Standard Time. And we've got a special guest with us tonight on the Front Page Football Podcast. Joining us is Mindel Aces head coach, Daniel McCormick. And he's going to join us to do a little bit of a preview, of course, of their massive fixture in the Australia Cup round of 32 on Thursday night. They'll be playing uh, Avondale FC from Victoria at home. Uh, and a really big game, and we're really pleased to be joined by uh, Daniel uh, on the FPF podcast. Daniel, how are you, man? Yeah, good, thanks. Thank you for having me. Um, like I was just saying in the, the pre-chat we just had, it's not often that we get a spotlight up here, so very keen to talk to you guys and answer any questions. Um, it's a bit of a universal game, but as you can see, just the humble canteen that I'm in, uh, we might not have the facilities that everyone else has, but we have a whole bunch of willing players that are training their ass off ahead of the game on, on Thursday. Yeah, and um, those listening at the moment, of course, we, we only post the podcast as an audio file, but uh, Dan is, we've got the video on the moment, Dan is uh, just in the club canteen at the moment uh, uh, for this podcast, and uh, he's just telling us, is that right, Daniel, you got a few players just staying back after training, doing some extra practice? Yeah, yeah, it was a bit of a special training tonight, actually. Uh, we did a shirt presentation, so I, the guys actually didn't know who was selected in the team. I left that as late as possible because uh, I wanted it to be as competitive as possible just to drive that intensity of training. Um, so this was the first time that they found out. So we actually had the, the Channel 10 camera crews here, um, had the shirts on the table, probably 30, 40-odd guys, and our women's teams all watching on. Uh, and we called out each of the names and presented them their shirts and big smiles on the faces of the guys that made it. Um, so, yeah, special training session. Still a few of them now knocking around a few penalties and corners. So, yeah, they're, they're taking every minute they can get. Absolutely. And uh, so I guess we'll just get straight into it. So, obviously, it was already covered in in the Australia Cup draw by Channel 10 uh, when they were doing the, the live draw, of course, about a little bit about middle aces and the background and, and how big of an achievement it really is to make the round of 32 in the main draw. But for, for yourself, for the players, and of course the club, I mean, this must be the biggest game that, that you guys have been a part of. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely for me as a, as a coach, we have a, a couple of players that have played, you know, NPL levels elsewhere. But I think with the exception of one being Josh Evans, who had played in the final 32 uh, for Edgeworth Eagles, uh, all of our players, it's their first time experiencing it. So yeah and um so 
we think about just broadly, yeah, as you just mentioned there, so the potential, I guess, lack of spotlight on on football in the Northern Territory and and I guess with the NPL, we seem to gravitate a lot to, to New South Wales, uh, Victoria, Queensland, a little bit with SA as well. So just thinking broadly about a, a club of your size making the main draw, you know, uh, the round of 32, there's only one slot allocated, of course, to, to teams in Northern Territory too. So how big you know, thinking big picture, how much does this mean to football in the Northern Territory as well? Um, and, and what influence do you think it can have? Yeah, it's it's massive, right? I mean, it's been, the club's been going for eight years. Um, this is our club's first time in it. In terms of our club size, we've got, I think, 580 registered players. So I'd like to think we're, we're a pretty decent-sized club. And most of that is at a junior division. So we have lots of mini roos uh, and juniors that will be looking up to our guys taking the pitch. Uh, but we certainly don't want to waste this opportunity. We're fully cognizant of the fact that there's probably a couple of hundred other senior footballers in Darwin that would love to be in our shoes and coaches that would love to be in my shoes as well. Um, for once, we haven't actually drawn an A-League team. I think we normally draw an A-League team for our Darwin side. So we've drawn an NPL team. Um, not saying Avondale are, are going to be much of an easy, easier game, but it's nice to be able to play against an NPL team to actually see where we stand. Um, and we're coming in as, as back-to-back champions and, you know, eight wins on the trot now. So our confidence is high. But how does that compare to the, the premiers of the Victorian NPL level? So that's what we'll see. Yeah, I mean, you just touched on it there, and I was just doing some reading uh, just earlier before about the about the club and and the club setup. So a really large junior uh, player base, as you mentioned there. Um, what what role, I guess, as a as a senior head coach, I would guess you would have potentially some technical directors at the club as well. What role do you have in in looking at those, you know, development of junior players and and being involved in that side of the club? Do you do you play a part in that and are there, I guess, any homegrown players in in the first team as well? Uh, yeah, if, if if you can see a technical director, let me know where he is. I'm trying to find him still. It's oh. <laughs> uh, it, it's very much a volunteer run club. Um, nothing like that. No one on a payroll. No general manager or, or chairman. It's just a bunch of volunteers. Even the club president coaches two teams. It's it's all hands on deck. Um, even our our uh, we have a chief minister here. You guys probably have have a premier, um, volunteers at our canteen, her parents pay for our, uh, play for our club. So it's a very uh, humble sort of club. Um, but it's it, it's for a long time, we've had a huge junior base and then the top of the pyramid just quite hasn't been right. So when I came in, which is about four years ago and started coaching uh, the second team at that point, um, we had only just come back into the, the first division uh, with a men's team. For a long time, we just focused on the juniors, right? And what we found is we were just a, a feeder club to all these other clubs. So when I came in and joined the club, I saw it as a, as a big problem. We're producing all this talent and then giving it to other clubs. So very much focused on trying to fix that top of the pyramid. And uh, when I took charge, you know, we had sort of been bottom feeders for two years prior. There was no one that wanted to coach us. I stepped in as a player, as an interim coach, and then no one really took it off my hands. But um, all we had was, was those that had stayed loyal through the big floggings of eight and ten nil and some juniors who were coming through the ranks so that's what having a strong junior base and building a framework that allowed us to to keep them in our senior divisions is really what allowed us to to build and not be dependent on poaching from other clubs we had great coaches at a junior level that under 16s and under 18s uh, you know we were winning undefeated in the under 18s league so we just let those guys graduate up into the senior ranks um, and that's no different now. We our, we have a 14-year-old that's in this, the squad uh, on Thursday night, Barnaby Wood, who's well and truly earned his place there. Um, we have had a 13-year-old debut for the first team as well, a striker. Um, we have a left-back as well who's 14. So we're very big on having our youngsters coming through the club uh, be blooded pretty early on and, and get as much experience early on as possible. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, Cody, yeah. Sorry, no, you're right. <laughs> So considering how big um, the club's been on growing, on having these players come through the club, especially under your time, a game like this, what does that do for the reputation and what does that do for the kids in the club? And is there anything that's going on um, in and around this game that's going to capitalise and just try and boost the reputation in the local community as well as this club? Yeah, well, we, we want to be seen as the club that builds juniors the right way. Um, you know, we want parents to feel that if they bring their kids to us, you know, they'll get the right coaching. They have a senior team that that um, affords uh, them a number of opportunities and spots. You know, I'm, I'm not 
one of those coaches that will just look to feel the strongest team every week. You know, when there's an opportunity, I'll, I'll always start a youngster and then bring on a more senior player after that, as long as the game permits. Um, and, and that's what we've been doing. But it's it's a massive opportunity. And one of the hardest decisions I had to make the last few days was cutting down that squad. You know, you I'm fully aware that it's sort of the dreams of a lot of young players to play in the final 32. And it's more than just dreams um, because it's, it's an opportunity for them. You know, they might hope to go on and be a professional footballer. And I'm aware that the decision I make to include them in the squad or not, or to start them or not, is also a decision on how much exposure this young player gets. And, you know, we have no professional teams in Darwin. So any chance of any young player being selected by an A-League team or an NPL team is going to come from this sort of exposure. So it's a lot of responsibility on my head. Uh, and I made the decision tonight to, to select Barney as one of our youngsters. But we actually have three, uh, three selected players that are born after 1999. So, so, yeah, 1999. So, the young players, you know, around that 14-year-old, uh, we have a 20-year-old uh, and then another 19-year-old. So, there's youth in a team. You consider I've selected 18 of the strongest and within that we have three very young players. Um, just a quick question, uh, Daniel. So, you mentioned earlier, as you said, uh, Northern Territory doesn't have any professional football teams. Just mm. for those that don't know, what's football like and perceived in the Northern Territory or in Darwin uh, is, I know that maybe. AFL and cricket would be the leading sports, but how is football perceived there? Do you see kids playing around the park? Um, do you have high registration numbers? What's it like there in uh, the Northern Territory? Uh, interestingly, um, across all codes, uh, football has the most registered players. So e even above that of AFL and, and cricket, which is probably uh, the common perception that, you know, AFL is massive in the territory. But I think the, the last time we got the statistics from the Federation, there was something like 2,600 registered soccer players or football players and about 2,400 AFL players. And then obviously cricket's pretty big as well and basketball's getting big. But it is the most dominant sport here. Um, and it's played everywhere, you know, because of it being in the dry season. It's it's lovely at the moment. Um, AFL, unfortunately, played in the wet season where, you know, humidity is at 110% and it's bloody miserable. Um, but uh, at a youth level and junior level, yeah, their parents, I think, feel that football is probably a really good um, pathway for them. And then in the alternate season, they can still play footy. So they can sort of do both codes, which is pretty good because if we were competing with AFL, I don't know if we'd have the same numbers. That's what you'd really know. And so you mentioned the club structure before. It's solely volunteer run. Uh, run, sorry. Uh, you've got a uh, president who coaches two teams, uh, sort of thing. President and and people doing you know all sorts of odd jobs. I'd imagine as well. Um, so I imagine some of the so some of the bigger I guess NPL clubs, of course, have got volunteers as well, but would definitely have actual staff and and would pay them on a on I'd imagine like a casual basis, part time basis, um, and a, probably in a better position. So. But you'd imagine those clubs still have trouble preparing and and getting all hands on deck for a game like this. So now looking at a you know a fully volunteer run club, how does how do you go about uh, you know getting everyone up to speed and and preparing and doing all the little things behind the scenes to get to get ready, particularly because it is a home game. Uh, look, it's I, I recently became. I'm a, a dad, actually. I have an 11-week-old little girl and everyone's been saying to me, you look exhausted, she must be keeping up. But I said, no, it's actually this bloody game and how much needs to be done behind the scenes. Um, it, it's just mental. Uh, and I'm one of those guys that I, I don't like handing things on because I'm always afraid of someone letting me down. So I'll do as much as I possibly can and overload myself. Um, but it, this has been a real insight into how much has to be produced. You know, things like a match day program. We've never had to do a match day program. And now we've gone and produced a 12-page match day program. We've been liaising with, with Avondale. We've got their squad lists and, and history on their players. And we've had to do it and try and promote our club. It's one of those jobs that you think is easy and someone can knock up with a printer. Like we had one of our senior players in at work for the entire day on Sunday and me as well trying to get this thing done. It's gone to the printers today. But it, it, it's been nuts through not just submitting your squad list. It's designing the kit. It's getting the kit in. Uh, we sold supporter shirts as well. It's it's taking those to printers to be heat pressed, selecting the squad and coaching on top of that and, and dealing with everything. Um, I've been playing whack-a-mole with my emails and every time I deal with one, another one just pops up. Um, all the different media requests that have been coming in the last few days. I've got radio. Sorry. That's <laughs> Sorry, all right. Man. That's all right. More than happy to do them. Uh, but there, there's just been so many, which is which is unusual. Like we're happy to do them, but we just don't normally get this sort of attention. So we'll make the most of it and we'll look to grow our club. And hopefully this isn't the last time in it. You know, hopefully the, the things we're doing now are but templates for next year. You know, next time if we qualify, we've got something to work with already. So there's been a lot that goes on behind the scenes um, and there's probably been a team of sort of five of us that have been trying to get it all together. Um, you know, we're 
we don't have a home ground that's hosting the game. We're using the Football Northern Territory Larrakia Stadium. So we are responsible for liaising with them uh, all costs of hosting the game. We have to erect scaffolding for the camera crew to go on because they're not broadcasting from the stadium side. Um, there's the security contractors. There's your VIP lists and who's doing your catering. It's are you selling any souvenirs? What raffles are you doing? It's, yeah, it just is mental. So, yeah, on top yeah. of yeah. you can get them ready. But who am I going to delegate to? I'm looking for that, that technical director you spoke about. Well, forget a technical director. You might need a media guy based on all yeah. those alerts again. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, so just on that, so what's the – you spoke about liaising with Avondale. What's uh, Football Australia, I guess, their role in, in this? Have they been – or even Football Northern Territory, have they been in close contact about just making sure everything's, you know, all, all said and done for the game? Yeah, yeah, they've been phenomenal for Northern Territory. Obviously, they want exposure for football up here as well. So they've said to us, what advantages do you want? They've let me play around with the dimensions of the pitch. They want how, how thick do you want the grass cut? You know, do you want match balls? They've allowed us to train at the stadium. So we trained most of last week at the stadium. Um, so they've been big on the advantages. They've helped us um, with their contractors, security contractors, catering, all that sort of stuff. So we have been working in partnership with them um, because it's their facility. Um, we just have you know, we have to, to deal with all the decisions as to what contractors we're using. So they've been very useful. And Football Australia's role has sort of been uh, ensuring that all our players are compliant and registered. Uh, no one's cup tied or has a ban in another country or another state. Um, checking all our officials, you know, do our team doctors and physios have their APRA certificates and insurance and have they done a cardio respiratory um, certificate recently? Like all that sort of stuff, which we've been having to collect and distribute. I think the match commissioner flies in tomorrow as well. Um, but yeah, I suppose they're just playing that role of making sure that all uh, T's are crossed and, and I's are dotted and, and that's what they've been doing. Yeah, we spoke, you spoke about the advantages there of being able to alter pitch to mention things like that. Does it well, is it another massive advantage that Avondale have to have to undertake that big trip up to uh, up to Darwin as well? Um, I don't know. You have to maybe do a ask maybe some of the Avondale players when they come out. You ever been up here before? Uh, when they when they walk out. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'd assume that most of them haven't been up here, um, but who, who knows? Maybe one or two have come up on a holiday. We were quite fortunate through COVID that you know our leagues kept going, so we did have a few Victorian footballers make their way up through uh, the borders and play football. Um, but I'll, I reckon I'll be pretty safe in assuming that majority haven't come up here. Um, I think they're flying in tomorrow. So uh, again, just just things that amateur clubs and even NPL clubs probably have to deal with is how are their players' bodies after a long trip like that? Because I imagine. I think they're going from Melbourne to Adelaide and then Adelaide to Darwin. So what's that? Six hours of flying, you know, and then they arrive here and they're coming from a climate where it's, you know, zero degrees. And right now it's 20 and this is cold for us, 20 degrees. So, and it's nighttime. So we're in a cold patch. Our guys are running around in jackets, but I really hope it heats up as where it normally is. It's usually sitting about 28 right now. So the climate's one of the biggest advantages and it's, it's the one that's working against me at the moment. But even then, I think even at 18 degrees or whatever, it's going to be, it's probably a lot hotter than what they're used to. Uh, I watched the game against um, Altona on the weekend. It was like they're playing in a bloody hurricane um, and it was freezing. So uh, they won't be used to any heat. And and if you know the, uh, the hotel as well, where they're staying, smoke, like, you know, a few flares or something, <laughs> just to distract them <laughs> or something like that. Like the soccer is in South America and Chile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've thought about it all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a few of our guys work at the hotels, so we've got spotters out there. Are there any <laughs> any uh, active supporter, any ultras uh, for the for the Mindel Aces or...? Unfortunately, there is. There's uh, there's shaved mullets and Arna, Arna Aldos and all sorts going on at the moment. So there are some ultras, which is pretty funny at an amateur football level. A couple of them have done up chance. So I'm sure you'll hear them on the mics if you watch the game. But hey, it's one of those things. You get to pretend to be a professional footballer for one day. So why the hell not? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And so let's talk about actually a little bit about yourself. So you mentioned that uh, four years ago you, you came into the role. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, joined the club sort of five years ago, came up as a, as a player, first of all, uh, I had a, a background coaching sort of an under 16s and more youth sort of level. And my youth, uh, um, and no one wanted to stand up and coach. So my second year at the club, I was uh, playing in the second team and coaching uh, player coach, which never really works out too well. Um, and then following that, I stepped up into the, the first team because no one wanted to coach them. So the president said, if someone doesn't step in, we're going to fold the team. Uh, and we'd only just brought the teams back alive again. So I said, look, I'll stand in, in the interim. 
Um, and if any of you know the sort of history of Darwin football, there was that sort of famous game where uh, Henelik played Western Sydney and nearly beat Western Sydney a few years ago. So Henelik had actually whitewashed that entire season. They didn't lose any game. Um, and then we drew them in my first game coaching the, the first team. Uh, and we beat them 4-3. Uh, and you can imagine the, the word interim stopped getting mentioned pretty quickly after that. And uh, three years or four years on, I'm still here. So... Hey, Daniel, I just saw a question because you obviously have a, a lot of experience working with youth. You're promoting them. You've got like a 13-year-old, 14-year-old playing in the Australian Cup. Just want to say, what are your thoughts? We always have questions in Australian football that youth development is not really good, um, that there's no pathways for juniors. Uh, how do you assess that from your point of view about youth football or development in Australia, maybe even in the NT? Do you think that there are a lot of players, but it just gets lost when you turn 18 or 20? So, for example... In New South Wales, we have a lot of NPL clubs and we have a lot of juniors, but then once they hit that 18s and the 20s level, school study commitment or whatever, they get cut and that pathway development issue gets gets lost. So um, just want to have your thoughts, having that experience with uh, youth in Australia. What, what do you think or what's your feelings towards yeah, it? Yeah, I think, again, it's, it's different on a regional context like the Northern Territory. It's, it's hard to compare what we have here in terms of academies and, and structure to what goes on in New South Wales or Victoria, for example. Um, I also spent two years coaching at the NTC Academy, the National Training Centre Academy, nine and 10 year old boys. And our pathway here in the Northern Territory um, wasn't actually domestic, it was overseas. We would take these boys to sing a cup and compete in Singapore. Because for us, you know, flight to, to Sydney is 800 bucks return, a flight to Singapore is 600 bucks. So a lot of our tournaments are actually in Southeast Asia, which is, which is exciting because for, it's been an ongoing debate here in Darwin. I, I think um, eight or so years ago, we actually used to compete in one of the Malaysian leagues. They sort of had a select Darwin side that would compete. And the argument has been, what's the better pathway, competing domestically or using our advantage of being on the doorstep of Asia and actually travelling into Asia and competing overseas? Um, and, and I don't know whether they've quite landed on an answer yet. Uh, and just before COVID, um, the AFL, uh, what the Australian Football Leagues had announced that national second division which was something that caught our eye because the Northern Territory actually was seated in there with a spot with the promotion relegation into the A-League. So all of a sudden our minds got thinking, well, what's, what's the structure going to look like? You know, any talented youngster we have right now, we send them away. You know, I've, I've personally coached four, five, six youngsters in the last few years that have had to travel and move their lives to Victoria or New South Wales have any chance of continuing this dream. So what's sad for us here is not that they get to 18 and then give up. It's the fact that, if they have any potential, they and quite often their families must relocate with the hope of following the stream. Because there's, you know, as I spoke about the Mindel Pyramid in the Northern Territory, there is nothing at the top. Any talent we produce just has to leave. There's, there's no there's no alternative. But if something like the National Second Division came in with promotion and relegation and the Northern Territory had a team, all of a sudden that would change everything. You wouldn't have to lose these talented youngsters to, to Melbourne or Sydney. Would you, just quickly uh, on that, sorry. Yeah, sorry, Ian, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Daniel, um, how do we go, or how did the youngsters go in those Singapore-Malaysian Cups? Are they doing really well? Or are they very competitive? How were the results like in that? Because it's a completely different environment. It's not, you're not playing in Australia, you're playing in Southeast Asia, completely different um, attitude or views towards football. So how are we going in that? Yeah, yeah, pretty good, actually. We, um, Our club, Mindel, used to send a team across and then the, the NTC Academy actually saw what we were doing uh, and then jumped on that and made that the usual as well. But I know Mindel as a club, I think we won the Singer Cup at an under-14s or under-16s level. That same team that I, I was speaking about that went undefeated in the under-18s, and I picked up some of them as graduates into the senior space. Um, my personal experience in coaching nine and nine and 10-year-old boys, two years at Singer Cup, my first year, I was, I was quite unlucky. We got seated in with Barcelona's, Real Madrid's, and Ajax's Southeast Asian Academies. That was at my group, so Barcelona, Real Madrid, Ajax. Um, that didn't go down too well. I think the, the closest we got was 3-1 with Real Madrid's Academy. Um, but yeah, Barcelona was like 6 mil. You're also playing on AstroTurf there. Um, the boys are training on grass here. So again, it's a difference in infrastructure and training environment. Um, but every year, you take those boys away. So really, if we do it right, they go from you know, five or six years of competing at the Singer Cup to then going away to Melbourne or Sydney or Coffs Harbour at Nationals or something like that. But they have this experience that maybe other kids in Australia don't have of competing in Asia. So that's one of the few advantages we have. Um, you've mentioned that you've seen some kids already in the Northern Territory have to move to Melbourne and Sydney to keep their football careers going. Yeah. 
Um, you've mentioned you've got a young striker that's going to be in the squad on Thursday. How does he compare to some of those players that you've already seen move over? Well, and actually, is that what is that the sort of player that you're looking at would benefit from a national second division team in the Northern Territory? Yeah, well, just to clarify, the, the young striker, Armand Dani, actually didn't get selected in the 18, but Barnaby Wood, who's an attacking midfielder, um, yeah, who's sorry. 14, did. But that's all right. Um, Armand has still come on the pitch. He assisted in his first game um, and, and he's, he's quality. And I think having something up in a national second division all of a sudden means that our local football federation has to build a structure that feeds into that, right? They, they, there's no other choice. So they would have to have a 14s and 16s and 18 structure with promotions all the way up into that, that final team that, that travels away. So that would be a massive, massive thing for us if it got up. But then I think COVID came and hit us all in the face and I'm, I'm not sure what the timeline is now for that national second division. I know there's a few feasibility studies that have been released in the last 12 months, but um, yeah, it just was something that, that caught our eye here as a real opportunity and reason for developing talent instead of just sending talent. Um, just on a national second division team in general, even looking aside from the advantages for the young players in Northern Territory coming through, but there's no real professional team in Northern Territory. I know the AFL's talked about expanding into um, Darwin and Northern Territory. What effect would that have if football was the first sport to to get a professional side up in the state? Oh, it, it'd be massive, right? It's already the most played sport. So imagine if there was uh, home and away games. Imagine if you got to see other second division teams fly in. Like that would that would change everything. Like we get pretty good turnouts at our local game. Uh, we, we would get, I don't know, two, 300 turnout, which looks pretty similar to what you see at an MPL level because people enjoy their football here. So if you gave them something that was of a higher standard to watch, you know, your best players in Darwin versus an MPL level team, I think they'd love that. They'd laugh that up. Uh, and it would differentiate us from the other sports. Um, you know, AFL has had what they call the Thunder Academy here, which is a similar structure, and they compete in the in the NAB leagues and, and that. And the Northern Territory, actually has some really good athletes um hockey as well there's some even in the australian hockey team there's some northern territory athletes in there so we do produce them i think a lot of people look at the northern territory and go oh they the the population's too small the talent pool's too small they don't produce anything but hey we, we've had some real gems come out of here um and imagine if they had the proper coaching and proper academies and infrastructure that everyone else has around australia imagine what we could be producing so even from a financial point if you're the only professional club in the in the territory I'm sure sponsors would be easy to find people willing to invest in the club and your fan base. You're talking two or 300 people now, but that could grow exponentially if you're a professional football club, getting those types of games in week in, week out. Yeah, yeah, it would. But I think everyone's very conscious of how would they structure it, you know, which club is it? And what happens if that club performs poorly the next year? So in my mind, the only way it really works is if the federation sort of does that select 11 or select 16 type team. Um, but then is that fair to other states and territories? What happens if every state or territory just pick their strongest number? So would they make exceptions for the Northern Territory to have that sort of team in there, like nearly a rep team? Um, but what that would also do is pinch all the best players from the league. So you sort of have to acknowledge that you're going to make uh, a decision that will hopefully benefit us in the long term. But in the short term, you're, you're decimating your local league. You're essentially taking the 20 best players out of the current seven clubs and then saying, you guys continue playing your league on the weekend and we're going to use all these players home and away each week and you have to bend and work around them. And then me as a coach, you know, I would be producing young players and they'd just be getting fed up into this academy. And because we, we're an amateur club, there's no compensation for developing them. I could develop an athlete for three years and then they go into this squad and I'm left with a hole to fill. So I think the clubs that have good junior structures will probably turn into feeders into this and... Part of me goes, that's a really bad thing, but that's just me being selfish. I think the right decision for the Northern Territory is to make a decision like this and just do it. You mentioned just on the second division stuff that you mentioned there. So <clears throat> I'm just based in SA myself. And I know a few years ago when this talk started, there was talk about uh, two big former NSL clubs in, in West Adelaide and Adelaide City joining together and, and basically becoming one club to enter in to either an expansion A-League or a second division team. Would... The NT uh, consider something like that where you actually had two or three clubs because of the the financial situation isn't as isn't as great, of course, as the other NPLs and and the status of the players is is less. Would they consider actually joining clubs together to enter in you know second division a second division side? Uh, look, I think they'd consider anything, but it'd be a bit of a rat race, right? You'd have this mm. essentially seven clubs with first team uh, with with 
teams in the first division. And then in the second division, there's 11 or 12 here in the Northern Territory. So there is uh, more teams slowly coming up because they have a rule that you can't have just the first team. You must have a second team as well. Um, but would people team up to, to make a stronger team to try and enter something like this? Sure. But, you know, like I said, it'll be a bit of a, a bit of a rat race. You know, those two will go together and these two will go together and how do they make the decision on the end? The, the feasibility study, I think, said that you must have like a minimum buy-in of around $600,000 in terms of payroll um, and you must have uh, infrastructure that has, you know, a walkout tunnel and change rooms to the standard and a pitch that's this width and your lighting towers must be of a certain lux. So the only place that exists is at the stadium, which we all share. So who gets rights to the stadium? Do they get to train there? You know, do two teams come, to come together? So these, they're hard conversations and I don't know what the right answer is, but maybe everyone's too scared of making the wrong decision and therefore they're making no decision. There's a, so uh, Football NT, they don't have... so Because I know Football SA, for example, here, they've actually got their own um, team which plays in the in the women's competition and then you've got a whole bunch of junior teams which play year up in all the junior leagues. Does Football NT, they don't have any teams that don't enter teams in the junior competitions or they, is there a similar... Yeah. yeah. They haven't this year. They, they did last year uh, where you had your academy teams playing one division up all the way through to under-18s. Uh, actually, in reserves as well, they had their under-18s team playing up in the second division, which was good, and they were competitive. Uh, but then I think they had uh, political issues with the clubs saying, you know, what if one club has eight players in this team? They can hardly field their own league team anymore. Mm. And then there were rules brought in, like when you play against your parent club, your parent club gets priority. But then those kids maybe weren't coming across to their parent club because... They were staying with their academy teams that created a bit of a royal mess. So they just withdrew that that structure and then they just let everyone go back to club. Um, but the Northern Territory has typically had that NTC academy type structure from under eights all the way through to under 18s. Uh, and then at a senior men's, they've had the Northern Knights, which would typically travel away into Malaysia and play against like Thailand's under 21s team and Malaysia's under 21s team. They play sort of four games over a space of a week or so and do a bit of a, a travel around Southeast Asia. Um, but COVID hit and we haven't seen that team in uh, three years now. So have you coached um, anyone or know of anyone in that in that program from that under eight to 18s who has actually moved outside of the NT, outside of the NT and then actually gone on and, and done something meaningful? Uh, yeah, well, last year's a good example. Casuarina played against Lions in the Australia Cup. And off the back of that game, uh, their young left back, who I think at the time, Aiden DeCosta, must have been about 16 at the time, actually got picked up by Brisbane Raw. And he's at Brisbane Raw's academy right now, off the back of his performance in that game. Um, so he's he's put one example. We had uh, a centre-back leave our club uh, about two years ago called Marcus Lee, and he went to Melbourne City and uh, did some trials with Melbourne City uh, and then made the decision to come back here and focus on his studies. I think he just didn't want to go away from his family as well. So we've had quite a number that have gone away in trial, but Aiden DeCoste is the one that's coming to mind that's actually still over there in that structure with, with Brisbane Raw and their academy. Hey, give us some insight into, into the playing squad as well. So what's the... Obviously, football is by night and they will be on Thursday, but what's the, I guess, some of the jobs uh, and some of the things that these guys are doing in there uh, outside of uh, outside of Mindel? Well, uh, we got... Uh... Josh Lagood has just graduated as a copper, so he's now a territory copper. We've got uh, Dylan and James. Is, 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 is he a centre-back? Uh, he is a centre-back and a defensive midfielder, so <laughs> he'll be playing uh, big hits all over the park. He's phenomenal. Um, we've got James and Dylan, who are both in the uh, Australian Army. So actually, when all the floods happened in New South Wales, the first lot of floods, we lost them for eight weeks because they went to the flood cleanup. Um, so they missed the first few games of the season. Um, we have guys that work for governments. We have landscapers. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a whole range. Uh, a lot of the sports betting agencies are up here in Darwin. So we've got three blokes that work for, you know, Ladbrokes or Bet365 um, on the call centres and taking bookings. So, yeah, there's, there's a whole range. But I can tell you no one's a full-time footballer. Everyone has a full-time job or is a student. Yeah. Hey, just about the, the team. Sorry, is it um, is it very multicultural, uh, multicultural? Are there a lot of I don't know indigenous players in the team? Any backgrounds in there? Or uh, yeah, actually, we we've done our match day program up, and what we did next to each of the player names is actually include uh, where they were from. So let me just bring that up quickly, and I'm happy to share that with you guys as well. Um, just downloaded a copy of it before, but. I would say about half the team is, is from Australia uh, and then the other half are really mixed because Darwin is so transient and multicultural. So um, just opening up the document now. 
We've got Tavian Ludvigsen, uh, who's Welsh. Um, we've got Lewis, who's uh, from England. James Cart from England. We've got Taiki Kudo, who's from Japan. Uh, we've got uh, Tan O, our right back, who's from Myanmar. Uh, we've got Eamon Kelly, who's from Ireland. We've got um, Seb De Silva, who's from Portugal. Um, we've got some from New Zealand. So yeah, it's it's really spread. Awesome. Did you did you write that program? Uh, yeah, James uh, James Cameron, one of our players who he would have been one of our first choice strikers, but he unfortunately did his hamstring four weeks ago, uh, and because we drew this early game, it's ruled him out because his his returns play has only just started today after four weeks of, of injury recovery. So um, he's uh, a media guy with the government, so he's used all his special tools um, and and yeah, has produced a really special document. So I'm happy to share that with you guys. Has he he oh, didn't um, he didn't do a piece on himself in there, has he? Just even even though it's you know, he's not playing, he's uh well he's mentioned he left his name in the squad list, we'll say that much. We you know, <laughs> had to give him some of the spotlight. Uh, he did a lot of work on it. So yeah, I'll share that with you guys because it includes our squad, their squad, it includes a bit of a write-up from me, the president, uh runs a form. Uh, we w- use um, catapult GPS trackers and our players. And so there's some stats there around who's the hardest working, who runs the quickest, all that sort of stuff. Hey, Daniel, sorry, just a quick question because the main topic is about the Australia Cup and whatnot. Uh, just You said earlier you watched the Avondale game. Uh, I think they played Altona. Just quickly, uh, what do you know about Avondale and what, what do you think were their strengths or the weaknesses? You can't give that away, but is there some sort of areas you think you can capitalise on? What, what, do you think, what's, what do you know about Avondale? What I know about Avondale is obviously that the premiers in, in the last um, Victorian NPL season that, that was actually completed. I don't know if it was finished last year. It must have been the year prior that they finished the premiers. So the last one that was completed on, I think they finished as the premiers. I think that was the 18, I, the 18 game uh, season, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just have a quick yeah. look. I'm just, I'm doing the, the Daniel just checking as we go. But, um, <laughs> but, but what uh, I know, having watched uh, about four or five of their games now, is that they're, they're really good with their press uh, and a high press. Um, and it, it's very structured. Their lines are solid through the midfield and through defense. Um, when they do get the ball, they're really quick with playing out through the midfield. I think Trajeski, uh, I think is his name. The, the little magician in the midfield is yeah. uh, remarkable um, with how quick he can turn under pressure and release the ball. So we're very conscious of how they're going to press us in our half um, and then how quick and how hard they're going to be to press in their midfield as well. Uh, and that's where, look, we hope that the climate plays a role and they might not be able to press as much or as hard as they usually would press. What's uh, what's your style as well? So what's the identity of, of your team? How do you like them to play? Is it, uh, you know, possession-based, uh, being on the front foot? What what uh, identity do you have? Um, I'll take you back to when I first started coaching the team and what I had was a bunch of loyal blokes who were just used to getting their ass kicked, but they were hardworking. So all we had going for us at that point was obviously any talent um, and skill had signed for other clubs. We just had guys who were prepared to, to work hard. So fitness for us has been foundational, uh, which is why we've invested in GPS trackers and a lot of S&C components and what we do. So I, our style is that we're very disciplined, we're very fit, uh, with the sort of team that can go 3-0 down as we have in the first half and just not give up um, in the second half. So a lot of grit, a lot of determination, self-belief. Um, but uh, yeah, I think our strength is definitely our fitness, our ability to counterattack and use that fitness um and yeah we've got some really tidy uh midfielders as well who who can take shots we've had a couple of goals scored from well well outside the 18 so if we see them off their line um Jonkerman will definitely be looking to have some shots and uh, based on how they play they do the same I heard one of the commentators um I think it was their last home game um referred to them as having a shoot on site policy at their club so obviously he was a home commentator um and you could see that as soon as it opened up in the midfield and the shot was on, they took it. Yeah, and it's just interesting as well, uh, reading about Avondale. So, Mindel Aces were founded in 1980, and then Avondale founded in 1984, so both clubs founded in the 80s, and then you've also had yourselves really come a long way in these last few years, winning back-to-back um, titles there as well, and then Avondale, you know, remarkable five promotions in six years, something crazy like that, uh, when they were coming through as an amateur club as well and then and now firmly establish themselves you know as a top flight uh side in victoria so some some similar uh paths there as well uh, which should be interesting for, for both for both clubs um so 
yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. I was just going to say, it's. Uh, I actually didn't know that about the history with the promotions. You know. Yeah. I, no, I just actually stumbled across that today. It's, it's like most crazy. Yes, five promotions in six years, haven't they? Yeah. Uh, that was the well, period when they when they actually finished the promotions and got up to MPL Victoria. So that would have been, I think, oh eight to twenty fourteen, oh seven to twenty fourteen. Yeah. Well, they 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 have a fair bit of infrastructure from their home games. It's like a nice grandstand there, um, a nice pitch. I mean, you type in their name, and they've got guys like Yonkerman saying, you know, my that my agent received a call and they flew me and my family out here to sign contracts, and you know, we're Bill the plumber and Ben the builder. So <laughs> no one's got agents or contracts. So <laughs> that's, that's a good one. <laughs> but it really is. I think it was just after we. Them. So obviously all our guys are scouring their social media and then they have interview with, with Yonkerman and you read it and he's saying he's playing in the first division over in, in Holland and he gets a call, his agent gets a call and, you know, they negotiate a deal and, you know, we're lucky if we get Rego money out of our boys. And they <laughs> oh, um, Daniel, just, Daniel, just a quick one. Um, for the Australia Cup draw, did you guys have a live TV in the clubhouse or how did that work? Did you just, did you get together as a squad? Did you get a, or did you get a fax? How did that work? <laughs> No, 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 no. We're a bit more advanced than that, guys. Come on. <laughs> we uh, we use smoke signals instead. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we One of our guys, um, one of the coaches in our reserve grade is actually uh, in audiovisual and helps a lot of the concerts and stuff here. So we got a big projector. We've got about 60, 60 or 70 people here at the clubhouse, which is really just a canteen. Um, and we watched it on the projector and ordered, uh, what, like 30 pizzas and just, yeah, had a good night, put on some drinks. Um, it was pretty exciting. We were one of the last ones drawn out. So as you're going, you know, you're getting more and more nervous. And we knew, I think at the point we were drawn, there were six non-A-League teams and five A-League teams, including um, MacArthur, Melbourne City. There, there was the top four on the ladder, I think, was still all in, or the top three were still all in the draw at the point we drew Avondale. So we were getting a little bit nervous. Um, but, yeah, we we do our best to, to put on a show and, and make it feel like a big night because for us it is it's massive and, and just quickly daniel i know maybe you said this earlier but what is it how's the playing group feeling for this game is it like this sort of mentality maybe not once in a lifetime but these opportunities don't come very often make the most out of it is, is that the sort of mindset mentality that's in the playing group at the moment yeah it is it is uh the thing i said to the guys tonight is you know, this is the most prepared you'll ever be. We, we've left no stone unturned. We've done additional training sessions. We've pushed you guys hard. We've kept it as competitive as possible. We're going in on eight game, eight wins in a row. Um, you guys should feel confident but not complacent. I think that's the key thing. Um, so our guys, and I asked them at the start of every training since that drawn, is it possible? And they all answer yes. And that's something, a re- recurring thing. And I'll ask them again on Thursday in the change room. The first thing I'll say is, is it possible? And I'm sure they'll all say yes. So they truly believe it is possible. Uh, I don't know. The bookies are probably going to have us a 10 to 1. But um, I said to the guys again, In we've played the last three grand finals. We lost the first one and then went back to back in the last two. We've never been the favourite on the bookies. You know, they, We've always been the underdog. So I'm quite comfortable there. They're travelling here as, as the high-flying MPL team with a, a salary budget um, and... They, the, all the expectations on them, you know, there's people saying this is going to be an ass kicking. Well, let's see, you know, we've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. If anything, it's them that has a lot to lose, you know, it's their reputation. And I'll just, uh, just further to, to Ian's question there. So amongst a squad, uh, of course, you've got, I'm sure some older guys. And, and of course, you've got the guys doing full-time jobs as well. Uh, the army and, and guy who became obviously a police officer recently as well. Um, are there... What's, I guess, the percentage of the squad who are kind of still have ambitions of maybe playing at a high level and, and progressing their careers? Are there a handful of guys who, who have that have that ambition? Yeah, yeah, there are. Um, definitely Barney, who we've spoken a fair bit about, yeah. is one of them. Um, Sebastian De Silva, who's our second-choice goalkeeper, he, he's, he's phenomenal. Um, he has aspirations of, of going on as well. Um, there was a couple that, that didn't get selected as well that have those aspirations, but the, the two key ones would be Seb De Silva, um, who you never know, we, we, we might bring him on um, later in the game, especially if we go to penalties. He's very handy uh, in a penalty shootout, very nimble. Uh, and Barney are the main ones that come to mind. We've got... Um, are you going to do the Andrew Redmayne, the Andrew Redmayne treatment with the with the subkeeper? Possibly, possibly. You never know on the night. Um We've obviously been liaising with Avondale because we know it's good etiquette to host the travelling team. So we've been trying to work out what their numbers are um, 
food-wise. And they asked us the question of um, what time should we get the bus to arrive to pick us up? And we said, well, it's a bit hard to say because it might go to penalties. And they just laughed. So I know what they're expecting um, and I love it. So we said, hold off on the bus, boys. <laughs> um, you mentioned before the form you guys are in was what, some eight games unbeaten currently, was it? Yeah, eight games unbeaten. Then we had two losses. And I think before that, we'd gone about 13. So call it out of our last 20 games, we've only had two losses. Yeah. And in amongst that period as well, your road to the effect, the Australia Cup, sorry, round of 32, you've beaten the three teams that you beat in qualifying are amongst the three top teams in your competition as well, um, alongside you guys, of course. What does that do for the confidence going into a game like this against Avondale? Well, it's it's massive. So, uh, like I said, we, we lost to Hanelnik and then we lost to Kajarina and then we had to play Hanelnik in our next FA Cup game. So, I think there was about a week between those games. So they've just gone and beaten us. And then as a coach, how do you how do you motivate your guys? You know, what do you change in that game? What do you take away? And then we went and we overturned that loss and we beat them and knocked them out the cup. And then obviously we had to wait and see whether Kajarina beat the team from Alice Springs in the other semi-final in the if they did. So the other team that's beaten us this year, we then had to face up again and, and beat them. And then uh, because it's a small league, you play each other three times each. We then had to play them both recently again in the league and we beat them again in the league. So they might have got us once each. We've knocked them out the cup and then beat them again in the league since that loss. So, yeah, we, we are going in confident. You know, I, I wasn't overly happy with the performance on Friday night. We played against Darwin Olympic and only won 3-2. Um, but I don't really know what I was expecting. You know, did I really want to whitewash or did I want a hard game that would prepare us for what we're going to have at the Avondale? So I would have liked to have seen a bit better defensive shape um, from our guys and a bit more discipline. Um, ideally, a clean sheet would have been good. But, hey, we considered some goals, which is which has given me things to coach on. It is a bit of a wake-up call, as those losses were, right? It was We were flying, whatever, 13 games on the trot and then you lose and it's guys, you're not so invincible. Like, you have to wake up. You have to be aware of these things. You just mentioned uh, Kajarina and Hellenic there. So Kajarina, you lost the grand final in 2019 to them, then won it the year later, and then you, of course, beat them to qualify for for the round of 32 as well. So a bit of history there. And then Hellenic, I think, are probably the more well-known club out of all the clubs in Darwin, if if anyone uh, was asked about, about clubs in Darwin. Um, so... Yeah, is there a bit of a rivalry between between the three clubs? Is there any tension? Are there you know really big fixtures when when you play those clubs? And also, sorry, Daniel, can I just add to Christian's question? Yeah. Um, is there what's the quality like like off Hellenic? Do you find them a really competitive side? Are they very well drilled, or is it more just like how do you yeah? As leading to Christian's question, just what's it like playing against those type of teams? Who you know, if you go to a Football New South Wales fan, they probably know Hellenic. That's the only one. But what's it like playing against them? Uh, look, it's about as competitive as it gets in Darwin. Uh, Hellenic have, um, they might not have been in the last few grand finals, but they've won the last two premierships. So they're the most consistent team. They're very well drilled. They've got some very good talent. Um, it's it's always a big game against them. You know, when you have a small pool of clubs, you have to get up for these sorts of games. So, um, And we, I'm sure they hate the fact that we qualified through and they didn't. Yeah, it's 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 massive. So it's it's about as competitive as it gets in Darwin. Um, they don't want us to get three championships in a row or take the premiership. We've never won the premiership. We've always had good runs into the finals, but we've never actually finished top of the table at the end of the season. So um, we, we've I think we should have taken it now. I think Hanlick have one game in hand over us, but they will won't play this coming weekend, and we will. And then as long as we don't lose, we'll take the top of the table, um, which hasn't happened in in a long time at this point in the season. All right, and uh, I didn't ask before, but the the fourteen the um fourteen year old uh, who you mentioned before, uh, Barney, could we expect to see him? Uh, is he just going to be in the squad coming off the bench, or is there is there a possibility he could start? Uh, look, there's every possibility he could start, um, but at the moment, it's more than likely he'll be on the bench. I'm one of those coaches that. I don't like telling the players um, who's starting, who's not, until I've actually seen them in the warm-up. I have a pretty keen eye for seeing who's a bit off on their day. Um, I'll watch the warm-up. If someone's touched, just keep hitting them in the knees. Uh, and I can tell they're not focused. That's just a risk I won't take. So I'll make that change last second. So I hope that everyone's focused. What I find is if I tell people who the starting team is, the subs also don't warm up like they would if they knew they were starting. So carrying on that, sort of leaving everything to the last minute and having everyone expect they're going on. In my head, I, I have an idea of how I want to start, but it'll be confirmed in the warm-up. And you can, 
anyone who who loves sport knows you can see it in a player's eye when they're really up for it and when they're not. So I will look them each in the eye and, and I'll be able to tell those that are up for it. And if I see anyone in my intended starting 11 that just doesn't look up for it, it's a risk I won't take. And and I, I, I've, I've had to make that decision before and I've gone against my gut and said, no, you know, he'll come good in the game. Sure enough, we've conceded a goal through that wing. So I think it's just coaching experience and, and learning to, to follow your instincts sometimes. All right, mate. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll let you go. Unless there's anything else you wanted to, uh, to mention um, ahead of the game. Uh, look, just if there's anyone listening from the Northern Territory, um, ticket sales, especially in Darwin, uh, the guys uh, have said how much this crowd lifts them, right? So, so the more people we can get there, even if they're supporting Avondale, right? Just a big crowd that you know you're playing in front of makes a big, big difference. So um, certainly getting down and supporting uh, what is the biggest game on the calendar for any football team in the Northern Territory. Uh, but then even if you're watching from afar, you know, positive comments on the stream, people do see them. They do make a big difference. So uh, we, you know, track the, the statistics and analytics on our Facebook page and we do have quite a few followers from interstate. So if anyone likes the, the name Mindle and, and the Aces and they like the football we're about, please just get behind our social media. And if you're heading up to the, the casino uh, in, uh, in Mindle Beach, then, you know, you might as well just go to the game as well. Probably. Yeah, exactly. And, we, and we've actually got a public holiday the following day on Friday. It's public holiday up here for the show. So we've said to everyone, no excuse, right? No, don't give me that. I've got work tomorrow or kids have school. You know, that excuse is gone to me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Ian and Cody, anything uh, you wanted to mention before before we let uh, Dan go? Uh, I just want to say, like, thanks, Daniel, for having your time. I know it was like on a short notice, but um, we really appreciate it. And it's just really fantastic to get some insight from uh like a non-mainstream NPL or men's Premier League uh, team from that viewpoint as well and getting to know the football Northern Territory scene. So um, all the best, mate, and we really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. Uh, look, who knows? Happy to even do uh, another one after the game. If we call, um, pull off a, a cup set, what do you guys call it? Yeah, cup set. Uh, <laughs> and you guys did want to do another one and, and uh, review the things that happened in the game, I'd, I'd be happy to do that. So let me know. No worries, uh, mate. Ian's point as well. Um, as we've all said, Northern Territory isn't exactly in the mainstream all the time, so it's really good to get this insight into not just your team, but kind of football in the territory itself. So thank you. It's not too shabby, and it's probably half because it's so transient that half our team are you know from England or Ireland or Wales <laughs> or somewhere. But there's there's some talent up here that we just don't get much of a chance to expose it. So yeah, and uh, I'll help. I'll help uh, the club out as well. They're, they're after a technical director. They're after a media <laughs> guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please, please. But it's all unpaid. Make sure you mention that part. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at a, a whole basket of laundry I've got to take home and watch tonight. So if anyone wants to help with that too. Daniel, I just feel like what we're talking about, like what you said earlier, the, the Avondale, they've got that guy from the Dutch League or whatever, and you're just like, <laughs> we sort of pay our retro money or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, retro. Half our players are on bloody payment plans and I'm harassing them every second. I just feel like it's very relaxed in um, Northern Territory as in like, hey, going, mate, whereas here it's more just like, oh, that player, like history of that player, the men are clubs, but I just feel like in the NT, it's just who's doing the washing, who's got that. Yeah, so we, <laughs> I appreciate the insight. It's been very, um, very good to and very fun to get an insight into um, what's it like in Northern Territory. Man. True, true grassroots, you can call it that. As far as I'm aware, we're the only amateur team remaining in the final 32 um i think all the other clubs are, are semi-pro um so we would love to to make history as an amateur team that makes it through and it's not impossible you know if you go back and watch any of our games or even go on our socials and look at some of the highlights and goals uh there is some real talent in our team we just have to turn up on the night uh and you know this cup's been built as the fa cup has on on upsets and grassroots and big games and guys being lifted by a crowd bigger than they've ever played in front of and that's what we're going to have on Thursday and um Daniel at least you're not as some like you know Steve Corica from Sydney FC you actually give the uh, the youth a chance which is <laughs> which is very positive to see in some Australian football circles where some coaches don't want to play the youth so but I really respect that and it's just I don't think many people will know that there'll be a 14 I mean on game day eventually will come out but we've got this exclusive uh that a 14 year old will be debuting in some some guy in year seven or year eight will go to school and then come yeah. back and like, hey guys, got a game. Oh, who are you playing? Australia Cup's gonna be broadcast live around Australia. <laughs> so well, it's fantastic. 
again, look, I think if we had a technical director, I wouldn't be harassed by the parents so much, which means I wouldn't have to select them. But, you know, you, I'm mates with, with most of their, their parents and, and talk to them a lot around things they need to do to prepare their kid. And uh, everything I've tried to do at this club is making it as close to a professional, semi-professional structure as possible. My brother is an SNC coach with Melbourne City. Uh, so he provides me a lot of information, how they structure their youth teams, uh, everything they do from not just SNC components to warm up to dietitians. We uh, work with Melbourne City and, and Sydney Swans dietitians. So if I've done my job right, when a young player leaves this team and goes on trial somewhere, nothing is unfamiliar. They know what a GPS tracker is. They know what a proper uh, strength and conditioning warm-up and, and movement mechanics look like. They know what a dietitian's going to say to them and everything is as familiar as possible. And and that's when I know I've done my job. And also just that's final point, all the best for um, the game against Avondale. From- I, felt, I, I, felt like we said, I felt like we said goodbye to him about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> Actually, if I could give you guys one job, if, if you guys could do a bit of research and tell me who the youngest player ever has been to take the, the pitch for the FA Cup or F, sorry, FFA Cup or Australia Cup, I did ask the guys at Football Australia if they could confirm that should Barney yeah. take the pitch if he would be the youngest. I don't know if you guys can find that sort of thing, but that would be pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Love your connection with Andy Howe? What's that? Yeah, actually, oh. yeah, I might, uh, might reach out to, to Andy Howe. Yeah, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll check that one for you for sure. Uh, might even yeah, might even give you a little bit of a plug on that one as well. Uh, yeah, no. yeah, absolutely. So, all right, we will actually let you go now um, because you're standing up, aren't you, mate? You've been standing up for about an hour, haven't you? I am standing up, and I've got about four players still waiting outside. Who I imagine want to talk to me about what yeah. position they're playing and things they need to do. So I'll go have a chat. <laughs> Yeah. All right, mate. Uh, best of luck. Uh, and I tell you, it's a fascinating story. So I really, to be honest, I am going to say, I really hope you actually get through and get the job done on uh, Thursday because uh, it would be- It was be, really enjoyable. Yeah, it would be fascinating to see it. Really would be fascinating to see it through in the round of 16. So uh, good luck. Uh, best of luck. And as you said, uh, anyone listening from Northern Territory, get out there and uh, and definitely support them as well. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the exposure. No worries. Cheers. All right, so that was the Mindelaces head coach, Daniel McCormick. Once again, uh, myself, Ian and Cody, thank Daniel and the club for his time. Fantastic to get really what was not just a fascinating insight, but definitely a first that I've heard um, from that point of view in terms of Northern Territory and Northern Territory football and the setup up there. I'll be brutally honest, I'm not... Uh, as we touched on in in the interview about some potential ignorance maybe in, in some other states or maybe just not ignorance but maybe just people who haven't really read up on the Northern Territory football scene so to get uh, a Mindelaces perspective but then also get a, a wider state perspective on how football's going in the Northern Territory was really interesting to hear and uh, yeah of course the the club situation and, and having to prepare for such a massive game like this is is always fascinating to hear we we've always got those kind of rags to riches stories uh, it can be said in the Australia Cup, but uh, definitely none more so than this one. So like I just said before, really, if you are from the Northern Territory and you happen to be listening to this podcast, got nothing planned tomorrow night, then really get out there and support these guys because it sounds like it's going to be a not just a you know a huge occasion for the club, but for the players, but also you know that, that town as well to see a local soccer team play on a national stage like this, you're going to have it broadcasted online for for thousands of people to see is just a huge spectacle. And uh, one of the reasons, of course, why why these teams strive to get into the main draw of the Australia Cup. But uh, yeah, great chat. Ian and Cody, of course, thanks to them once again for joining me on the podcast. And not too sure when we're going to be back on the front page football podcast. I have to be honest, it's a little bit ad hoc at the moment, depending on what's going on in the off season and 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 things of that nature. And particularly with the A leagues, of course, the the longest off season is, is well publicised uh, every year. It's a little bit sick of <laughs> sick of hearing it. I think I think we all know it's the longest off season, but yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a wait and see and, and uh, about what's going on in terms of transfers and things like that. But uh, I'm sure there'll be some other football news. It, it's football. There's always there's always shit going on and, and stuff popping up that's uh, interesting to talk about. So without further ado, I am going to sign off on this one and hopefully you can listen to us on this podcast once again soon. <laughs>